0: Maybe may seated. Well, happy two-year anniversary, grace and peace. It's uh, been a pleasure to be pastor here at this church, to see it grow, see it change. One of the reasons why we started one of the values of this church was to be a people who have humility on the journey, realizing that not one of us, single one of us, has all at the corner on truth, but rather we are to be people Who are to be humble, realizing that we ain't got it together. That we're all needy. That we're all messed up. And so, what does that mean? That means that this should be a place where Republican and Democrat can eat at the same meal, who worship the same Lord. Because we don't have a corner on truth. We don't know exactly uh, what is the best common good. That we only see in part that we can work together with others for the good of this world. And that's what we're to be about. Now, we come into this story where Jonah, and it's the tail end of Jonah. Everyone remembers the fish. Everyone remembers that Nineveh repents, but very few remember the, that it ends with Jonah sulking on the side of a mountain and God confronting him, and so God here is confronting, confronting Jonah, confronting you and I, to tell us to repent, so that we would look more like Him, the God who is compassionate to us, even though we don't deserve it, even though we didn't earn it, God has pity. On those types of people. It reminds me, God's compassion reminds me a lot of this photograph called the Glorious Ruin. Uh, and can you put that up, the photograph? <laughs> there we go. This here was taken by a gentleman in St. Louis as he was riding his bike home. This is the remains of Emanuel Lutheran Church in St. Louis. You see what beauty it was. All its goodness. The fact that songs were sung here. But then you see what corruption has done to it. How it has hollowed it out. The artist named it Glorious Ruin. After the old Francis Schaeffer comment... About what humanity is like. That humanity, you and I, every one of us, are really just glorious ruins. All of us were created good, beautiful, and great. But sin, like termites or carpenter ants or rust, hollows it out and destroys it so all of us are a lot like this church. And the book of Jonah is ending with the way that God sees people. With compassion and pity. Much like the artist was drawn to the beauty of this place. And he attached part of himself to it. And he felt compassion and pity on what he was seeing in this church. So God looks on the world and looks on people. With great compassion and pity. See, God has compassion or pity on the other. Psalm seventy-two, thirteen says, He has pity or compassion on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. Saves the lives of the needy. He saves mixed up, glorious ruins. That's who he saves. That's who he has compassion on. But you and I, we're, we're like, uh, we're all or nothing people, aren't we? We're all or nothing. We look at certain people, certain segments of the population, people who offend us, people who don't agree with our policies, and we say, they're all bad. Or we go on the reverse and we think that the people who are, agree with our policies preach the things that we want to have heard, and then we believe that they're all good. And so we think of this weird dialect of, of either good or bad. But rather, we need to see people the way God is seeing them in the end of Jonah here, and we're going to be focusing on verses 10 and 11. We need to see people as glorious ruins. There's so much good. And beauty being made in the image of God, but yet there is sin that is corrupting and destroying each and every one of us. You see, God's grace is seen. His compassion is seen when we answer three questions from our text. To whom does God have compassion? Why does he have compassion? And how does he have compassion? To whom does he have compassion? Why does does he have compassion and how does he have compassion? See, things are not the way it's supposed to be. Christianity isn't about moralism or self-righteousness telling you you need to get your act together. But rather, it is that God himself came down in the person of Jesus Christ and was torn apart so that you could be made whole, so that you could be put together in him. And now we see in this text this reflected difference between God and Jonah. Between God's compassion and pity and what he has compassion and pity on toward Jonah and his contempt and bitterness. And so, whom does God have compassion on? The book of Jonah remembers his call to repentance. And then God is doing that by demonstrating his compassion to Jonah and toward others. But notice who's the one who's repenting. It's always the irreligious people who are repenting and turning around. But yet it was the religious hard-hearted person of Jonah who sits in contempt and sulks over what God has not done. Here in Jonah 4, God is showing compassion toward those who are not like him. Jonah is willing to die for a plant. And God shows that he's willing to die for people. He's willing to die for the outsiders, the sinner. God says to Jonah, you pity, you feel pain, displeasure for a castor oil plant for which you did not labor. You did not make it grow, and it came into being in a night and perished in a night. And so by comparison then, we are to understand that God's compassion is on that which he causes to grow, in which he started, he planted it, and on which may only last a short time, but is much longer than a plant's life in existence. So God uses the plant and Jonah's pity and compassion for it as a literary device to compare, to compare it to the way we have pity or compassion. Or maybe I should put it a different way. God's compassion is compared to our lack of compassion. Our lack of pity. Our contempt for people who are not like us. So he's trying to get at the heart. He's trying to get you and me. He's trying to tell us that those little things that you hold contempt for against other people, those things are going to destroy you. Don't you see God's patience? In pity, in compassion. In Romans 1, it tells us, don't you know that it is God's kindness, that it is meant to lead to repentance. And so, what does God God pity? Who does he have compassion on? He says, that great city Nineveh, with more than 120,000 people who do not know their right from their left and so much uh, cattle. It is to tell us this, that God cares about all things. He cares about, as the little hymn says, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, to us God that made them all. How much then does he love his image bearers? It says in Psalm 139, the prayer, it says, You knit me in my mother's womb. God cares for the littlest from the beginning. 1 Corinthians 3, it tells us that though one may plant and one may water, it is God who causes the growth. Psalm 127 says it is in vain you rise and you go to bed. It is only because God makes effect of your work. That is why it happens. Psalm 8 asks, "Oh, oh man, what is man that you are mindful of him? The Son of Man that you care for Him. Psalm 103 says He knows our frame that we are merely dust. God cares. And He's active in all of His creation. So He attaches Himself. He feels pain with His creation. He has compassion on it. Matthew 9.36 says this of Jesus. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion, pain, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But God doesn't just cast people away. He doesn't just say, get out of here because they are messed up. He doesn't even say it to God's people. Jonah, he, he draws Jonah in. He asks questions of Jonah. He's trying to show Jonah how messed up Jonah actually is. And so it's a lot like a Hosea 11.8. Where God pleads with his people and he says, how can I give you up? God has a deep love. A love that brings him to pain. God has compassion and attachment toward all his creatures, especially people. Abraham Kuyper says, there is not a square inch in all of creation in which God does not declare, mine... Notice God pities Nineveh, a place, and its people, and all its products, including its culture. And he calls it a great city. And so what does all of redemption look like? What does his compassion look like as it plays out in the story of redemption? It is like this, as the theologian Herman Boning, good Dutch guy, I named my dog after him. He says the essence of Christianity consists therein. That the creation of the Father destroyed by sin is again restored in the death of the Son of God. And recreated by the grace of the Holy Spirit into a kingdom of God. And so God cares for his creation and what we do With it and for it. He has compassion on people so that they would repent and care for his creation as he demonstrates it to them in his life. God's compassion is for what he created, especially to humanity. So when Jesus says, for, for when Jesus says, so God so loved the world, the cosmos. He really means everything. And he means it. And he sent his son to redeem it, to redeem everything, everything that is touched and corrupted by sin. Romans 8 tells us that the creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And the creation waits the revealing of the sons of man. God is compassionate upon sinners and snails. Christianity isn't get your life together and then God will be compassionate to you. No, God's compassion and pain for you changes the way you interact with all things in this world. God loves you so deeply that you begin to get it together by admitting that you never had it all together. And so in humility, you can look at each other when they can critique you and you say, Yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. And you know what? Give me some more. I can handle it. Because he has compassion on sinners and snails. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, Paul says, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. God has compassion on you, that you may show compassion to others. And that his compassion, his pity, his love may be reflected in you. But that isn't the way we work, is it? No. We're a lot like Jonah. God has compassion on Jonah. What does Jonah do? Jonah says, oh, obviously you really love me. This is great. Nuke those dirty Ninevites, Right? And then he sulks and he says, I am willing to die over a plant. And God's like, I have pity on these people. And you are like sitting here telling me that I'm doing something wrong. And so that's where God says, do you do well to be angry? That's where he gets it from. And he says, no, I'm doing God is pushing back and saying, I'm doing right by having pity on on those people. You want to have pity, you feel pain for a plant. Wake up. Turn around. What does this mean? It means this. It means that you and I, we all hold contempt for someone, some group of people. And it is all contributing in some way to the alienation of each other in this world. The polarization. We are looking always at the other side. We're looking at Republicans and Democrats and saying, oh, they are such terrible people. And we're holding them in contempt. We're all looking at mask wearers and non-mask wearers. We're saying, oh, those people are messing it up. We're all holding someone in contempt. And so what I'm saying here is not, I'm not saying anything about the political policies of one side or the other. What I'm trying to say is this. Your battle is not with flesh and blood. But it is against the powers and the principalities that are behind what? The ways that you decide to polarize or push away from other people. The powers that often make you hold others in contempt. So you see, God has compassion on people. And then he's turning around every policy and every form of politics. And we do right to join him in that. To love and care for people who are unlike us. To have compassion and pity on them. To discuss and sit down without contempt and anger in our heart with other people who are unlike us. Because that is the way that God does it. But why does he have compassion on them? Notice he says that there are 120,000 people. God looks and he sees a mass of humanity. Image bearers that are beautiful who are to reflect his glory. He sees men, women, children. He sees it as a great city. It had military might, cultural influence, and it had a great economy. They had the best Costco in town. And so you had, you, you know, this is where you would go. It was this Mecca of the area. They were a superpower. But they didn't know their right hand from their left hand, it says. And what does that mean? To say that was a euphemism or for a way of saying that they're blind. They're spiritually blind. They don't know what they're doing. And blindness in the Old Testament is usually combined with the sin of idolatry. Notice that what, what Jonah says in his prayer. Those who pay in regard to vain idols disregard or neglect their salvation in the steadfast love of the Lord. And so what is, what is God trying to say? They are idol worshippers. But should you go and sneer at them? No. Rather, it is compassion and pity that you should have for them, as the way God has it for them. They don't know their left hand or from their right hand, as it says in Isaiah forty-four. They are becoming like what they worship. They are becoming blind. Need I say dumb? Even they can't hear. Because what they worship can't do those things either. They're becoming unhuman. And it should not make you scoff or glow. But it should break your heart. It should break your heart. God is compassionate on that great city. Why? Because all its good is being corrupted and used for idolatrous ways. For God says that they don't know their right hand from their left. He's pointing out that they are blind and you should feel sad, you should take action, you should be, have pity upon them. In the end, love sees the plight and danger of the beloved and is moved by love to do something. The death spiral of sin is getting out of control and inevitably it will catch up to every one of us. And does God excuse this sin? Does he just let the Ninevites off the hook? No, love always, whenever it has to forgive someone, always takes that justice, what you are owed, the debt that you deserve onto oneself. For the wages of sin is death, and we know that Jesus Christ took death for us. And so God has compassion because they are blind, they are lost, and he loves them. Does God have compassion? It says that the Lord, when he reveals himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. He is faithful and compassionate, but he doesn't clear the guilty. He feels that pain, the pain of sin and death, on himself. They don't know what's good for them, but God does. You see, all their unhappiness... Let me put it this way. All their desires, all their desires to live their best life now in their blindness was just leading them further astray. Your desire to have Instagram-worthy life, if it is not for the glory of God, is going to destroy you and lead you further down into a pit of despair. But God's compassion will meet you in the pain of that pit. So we need to ask ourselves, what is moving us to contempt and bitterness against other people? What are we trying to protect? What is causing us to distance and isolate ourselves from others? We need to examine why we are distant. We need to learn also different things like how do we affirm before we critique. When we look at culture, when we look at people, notice God does this. He affirms what is good about Nineveh, then he critiques it. In the beginning of the book of Jonah, he says, go to Nineveh, that great city, then for its sin has come come up before me. So when we look at culture, when we look at people that you hold in contempt, what can you affirm that is good about them first? When there's another public policy that you don't like, is there something you can affirm before you critique? Do you see that? Do you understand that God, in his common grace, has not let every person be as bad as they want to be? That's a Dennis Rodman book. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that, he doesn't let them keep going further down that road. By his grace, he's held them and preserves them. That they still produce good things in culture for the good of others. We need to be able to see that. And so how does God show his compassion? To show compassion or pity is to attach or take upon oneself the pain of the other. To suffer with. Passion is pain. Compassion means suffer or pain with. So Jesus says this generation seeks signs and wonders. And the only one that he's going to give is the sign of Jonah. God shows his compassion by taking on that which is causing the pain. He takes sin and death upon himself. That is the way they they are forgiven. That is the way his justice is delayed. Paul writes, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He transfers our sickness, our sin, our brokenness, all the corruption onto himself on the cross and it tears him to shreds so that we could be made whole in him. Jesus is the weeping God as one person said of Jonah 4 in the flesh, who is taken outside of the city not to condemn the city but to save the city because he loves it. It brings all compassion onto himself. It says that Jesus is the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Luke 19, 41 through 44 says that he wept over the city. And yet he... He is being rejected. In Luke thirteen thirty four, it says, Jerusalem, you are the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Oh, how I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Yet you are not willing. He's pleading for you to turn to his compassion. Where people flee from others... God comes in close, and he acquaints himself with our sin, that we may be acquainted with him and be close to his heart. You see those people that you want to avoid? Do you see their pain? Maybe it's something simple. Maybe you see a child who's crying. Has there ever been anything more awkward than a crying person in public? You're like, ah, Maybe we just need to be like Jesus. Slide in there. Carry their burdens. Cry with them. There are sad things in this world. Have compassion. See, Christianity is one that where there are difficult things happening, by compassion, we take it with them. We move in to the places that people should move out. And we show a different way of being in the world. Most people at the site of Vinicio Riva, you can put his photo up, would turn and run away. He's often lonely. Most see him as a spectacle, cursed by God. He has a painful disease called neurofibromatosis type 1, which causes painful tumors and sores to grow uncontrollably all over his body. He's looking for compassion, looking for pity, all his life living lonely and hurting. Most people shrank and moved away from him. While in St. Peter's Square one day in the Vatican, he just wanted to see the Pope. And as the crowd began to press onto Pope Francis that day, Venicio Riva was clearly visible because others that pressed toward the Pope avoided Riva. But the Pope saw him, moved with pity and compassion, you can show the next photo, and went and in and hugged him, hugged him, prayed for him. And that reflects God's love in Jesus. God sees us alone in our sin. People moving away. People scoffing. Gloating. And He doesn't run away from you and me. Won't you have compassion like that? Will you stop and repent and turn turn toward Jesus who comes? Mark 1, 40 through 41 says this, And a leper came to him, Jesus imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, with compassion, he stretched out his hand, And touched him and said, I will be clean. Jesus is the compassion of God come to take that which pains us, pains him, onto himself and gives us true life, true healing through his pain. You and I are a lot like Jonah. And God invites us this day. Out of his mere compassion, pity, and love for you, to put down all those things that cause us to have contempt for other people and to be moved with pity and passion, as Jesus Christ is the pity and passion of God in the flesh taking it in on himself for the sake of you. Will you not have compassion on that city and on others? Let us pray. Lord God, help us to see the others in our life, not as objects to be contempted or to be hated but to see them as people made in your image, not knowing left from right. Help us to realize that we can have solidarity with them because we too, Lord, we are sinners. But let us know more than ever, your love, your grace. It is in his name we pray. Amen.